Well, welcome to those of you who uh, are just visiting with us today. Um, we are really, really excited to have you here at, at Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I am one of the pastors here. You met my wife, Julie, earlier uh, in the service. And like she said, we are just really excited to have you here visiting with us today. Um, obviously, a holiday celebrating the resurrection is kind of a big deal for a church that has a resurrection in the name. Um, it's kind of like our Super Bowl and for us, it's kind of like if the Vikings had made it to the Super Bowl or the Gophers had made it to the Final Four back when both of those events were hosted in the Twin Cities. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like a big deal, right, for us? Um, now, obviously, like, the Vikings making it to a Super Bowl or the Gophers making it to a Final Four are about as unlikely as someone rising from the dead. Um, and we're, we're aware of that. Um, <laughs> But, but I think that's actually part of the point, right? That's kind of part of the point. Uh, like, I think that there are maybe are people outside the church or, or even people, you know, in, in the church who think sometimes that uh, the reason that we would get uh, so excited about a holiday where someone r- was raised from the dead is that Christians are people who live in, like, kind of a magical world where supernatural stuff happens all the time. And, and we, don't, we don't like science or we don't think that that kind of stuff matters very much. And so, so of course, like a day where we're celebrating someone coming back to life would be like something we would do. It would be right a part of the worldview. Um, And I actually think that that's not true. I think the reason that this is such a big deal for us is because we realize uh, what a big deal it is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Like we understand that stuff does not happen. And so for us uh, to celebrate a day where Jesus has risen from the dead and talk about why that is so important um, is for us to acknowledge, like, this is a really, really big deal, okay? And so that's why uh, Easter is such an incredibly important part of the Christian faith. Um, for us to say, yeah, this guy, you know, he, he came back to life and he was, he was eating with his followers after he'd been dead and they had, they had spent time with him and seen that he'd actually been raised back to life. Um, and, and then after that, after he ascended into heaven, um, all of his followers then kicked off this movement, this church that is, had this momentum that has been uh, getting higher and higher and higher in the world for, for the last 2,000 years, culminating in us sitting in this room today. Like, we're like, yeah, that's a big deal, and we're going to take it really seriously. And that's, that's actually a part of the reason why we are called Resurrection City Church, is because we wanted that to be like foundational for us. And then also for, um, for people who, who maybe are skeptical, or who maybe do have that question sometimes of like, um, you know, could someone come back to life? Like, what, what would that matter? Or what, the things that Christians believe, like, is that, is that kind of crazy or not? Like, we want the resurrection and kind of the historical fact of, of that happening and, and then the, what has happened in the wake of that to kind of be in our name as like an invitation to people uh, who are skeptical. And so, so that's like a reason why we, we put it in the name. We thought it was really important for us to put that there um, as kind of like a signpost uh, pointing towards what it is that we believe as Christians. So... And what we've been doing since uh, we launched was going through the book of Ephesians, and we've been on a bit of a break from that for the last few weeks because we were on a spring retreat, and, and what we're going to do today is we're not going to be in Ephesians, but we're going to um, spend a little bit of time in the book of Romans uh, where the Apostle Paul uh, is writing, just like uh, the same guy who wrote uh, the book of Ephesians. So we're going to spend some time um, uh, kind of, uh, again, engaging with uh, the Apostle Paul's thought in, in his letters. So um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans 1. We're just going to be doing the first uh, four verses of Romans here. Um, so it starts out like this. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Paul's saying here is um, he's the servant of Christ Jesus um, and that in the resurrection, uh, this Jesus has been appointed the Son of God uh, in power. And that's super important, and I'm going to unpack that for you guys here in a little bit. But before we do, I just want to point out a couple of words in here that like, we maybe gloss over. If we've been in church long enough, we maybe gloss over some of these words. Um, words like uh, gospel, which is the Greek word euangelion. It just means good news in Greek. Um, the, the title Son of God. Um, and the word Lord, which is kyrios in Greek. Like, those are words that we use all the time, and we talk about them a lot, and I think we probably assume that like, the early Christians made these words up to kind of apply to Jesus, because they were like, we need some words to describe him and talk about who he is and what he did. And, and I think it's true that they for sure took words and, and like, gave them new meaning that they didn't have before, but these were actually words and phrases that were uh, fairly common uh, at the time that uh, the Gospels uh, were were being written. So it's good to remind ourselves of that, um, that, that these titles that were applied to Jesus and these words to kind of describe who he was and what he did, um, he wasn't actually not the only one having these things uh, applied to him. Actually, um, there was another Lord in the first century, and his name was Caesar, Caesar Augustus or Tiberius, or depending on when you think these books were written exactly, like there was another Lord in the world. Um, and actually, uh, the phrase son of God was actually not a title that was just applied to Jesus at the time. This is a, a Roman coin. Um, Caesar stamped the, the, uh, the Latin word divi filius on all of his coins that he would pass around. And, and that means um, son of the deified one, but everyone knew like, what he actually was saying is he's a son of the son of God. That's the title that's applied to Caesar. Um, in the first century, they, they didn't have internet, which means they didn't have Instagram, um, and they didn't have Facebook or Twitter, they didn't have a printing press, so if you wanted to like, let everybody know something, the one thing that everybody has is money. So what you do is you stamp, uh, you stamp statements on coins to make sure that everybody in the empire has a coin and knows that this thing is true about Caesar. That's the way you let people know that. And so... Um, that's what people are walking around in their pockets with, these coins that say Caesar is the son of God on them. Um, and, and the other thing about Caesar is he really has no challengers at this point. Like at the point that the Gospels are being written, there had kind of been some, um, some like Game of Thrones for, for, the, uh, for control of, of Rome at a certain point. But Caesar Augustus had been the one who had kind of like put his foot down and said, um, listen, I'm going to be the king. And he kind of defeated a bunch of challengers and he said, we're going to have peace now. We're going to have peace in this empire. Now, uh, the movie Rogue One came out a few years ago, and um, there's a line in there that has always struck me um, that lines up really well with, with, with what the Romans called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Um, director Krennic, he's like the bad guy in the movie. He just built the Death Star, which if you're not a Star Wars fan, is this 
giant thing that uh, blows up planets. And um, he says, like, now that we've completed this, uh, you know, weapon of mass, mass destruction, um, now we'll have peace finally. Because no one's going to dare challenge us if we have this super weapon, right? Um, now, obviously, he didn't anticipate a, a bratty 19-year-old kid who used to bullseye womp rats back home in his T-19 um, and flying in and shooting a a laser down the chimney of this thing and blowing it up a few years later. Um, that's, ha- that's Star Wars Episode Four, in case you've never, never seen it. But, um, like, this idea of peace that is being brought by just saying, like, we're going to swat down any of our enemies, that was the peace of Rome. And that was what Caesar said, I brought to the world. I brought true peace to the world. But it's not really the kind of peace that we might think is a good type of peace, right? Um, and so Caesar had that claim. Now, on top of that, he also had um, he also had this narrative, which we could maybe call the good news, and I think it was applied to him at times as well, like the good news of Caesar's ascent to power. Um, this is from just a, a scholar. He says Horace, which is um, one of like you had these poets in the in the Roman world who were you know, somewhat equivalent to like rock stars or whatever. They would write stuff, and and they were kind of used again for propaganda purposes, and so Horace is one of these guys, and he lists the heroes of long ago in one of his poems, leading up at last to Augustus, who he prays will rule the world as Jupiter, who is kind of the the big god on the block in in Rome, Jupiter, uh, his viceroy. Augustus will do justice on earth, um, sorry, Jupiter will do justice on, no, Augustus will do justice on earth while Jupiter does the same from heaven. I think that's what the quote is. I think I must have typed it in wrong here. This is the narrative, but Augustus is at the climax, right? So you have this this idea within the Roman world that all of history has been leading to Caesar Augustus' appointment as king, as lord, as the son of God, and this is kind of his good news, right? And this is what everyone at the time is being challenged to believe um, is the good news in the world that we should be believing, Okay. So in the midst of all of this, you also have uh, this long kind of story with the climax of, of Jesus coming out of it, that Jews and then Christians are believing. Um, and so that's where the title actually, Son of God, actually has its importance within the Jewish world. So um, if you go to 2 Samuel 7, 13 to 14, this is, this is in the Old Testament, and God is speaking to David, who is, who is like kind of the main king in the Old Testament. Like everyone looks at David as kind of like, we want kings like David because they are men after God's own heart. They establish um, God's kingdom. Uh, like this, the, 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 the highest height that the kingdom of Israel had ever reached was under David. Okay? So Paul, or, uh, God is saying to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So God's like, listen, David, I've, I've blessed you, and because of that, you've won many victories. And, and the nation of Israel is this, uh, this great nation in the world. This kind of kingdom that I have established through you is a picture of the type of a kingdom that I'm going to establish someday when, when I raise up this ancestor of yours who is going to establish the throne of my kingdom forever. Okay, And when that guy comes, he will actually be, you know, he will be your son in a sense, but he will actually be my son. Okay, I will be his father and he will be my son. And we see that... Um, 
in places like Psalm 2, which we, we prayed a prayer from today, if you dig into that a little bit more, you see that this idea of um, God actually says, like, today I am I'm your father and you are my son. And in Matthew 16, actually, which is the first time that Jesus' disciples identify him as the Messiah, they say, like, we think you're the Messiah, the son of God. That's actually the, the, what they say right after calling him the Messiah. So there's a sense in which the son of God is seen by everybody uh, to be uh, the Messiah. They're, it's like kind of almost synonymous titles. This, this one who's going to come and establish God's kingdom everywhere. Um, and so that's really important when Paul applies that to David here, especially, or sorry, to, to Jesus in our passage that we're talking through today, uh, especially when he identifies him uh, with, with being a descendant of David, right? So um, we're coming back to that passage now. Paul is saying, I'm rooting my, ser- my servanthood, my apostleship in a specific gospel. And that gospel is the gospel regarding God's son, okay? This descendant of the great Jewish king David, and this descendant that is going to bring God's kingdom of peace, justice, mercy, love, forgiveness, and the undoing of evil. Okay? And this gospel that I have has its authority in the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, which anoints him as Son of God in power. That's what Paul is saying here. So that sounds, if you, if you kind of know how we're laying this out, a little bit uh, like how Caesar had talked about it, right? You get these competing narratives. They're not necessarily even aware of each other, maybe, but they sound really similar. And so the, the, the early Christians are declaring um, to, uh, to the world that God has declared to the world through the raising of his son, Jesus, um, that he, was, he had done what he had said he was going to do. He had established his king. He had brought about the forgiveness of sins for people. Um, all the things that Jesus said about who he was, he's actually vindicated um, in, in his being raised from the dead. So everything that Christians had, or that people who had followed Jesus and Jews had been hoping for have all been uh, proven true by the resurrection of Jesus. And there's this authority uh, that comes now to Paul's gospel because of the resurrection of Jesus. I think there's a great, a great moment in, in a, a recent movie that came out that kind of, um, I, I just think like is a good picture of this. And it's from uh, the movie Black Panther. Oh. Um, I picked this because a lot of people have seen it. I realize there are very few movies today that most people have seen, but this is one I think a lot of us have seen. Um, but if, if you haven't, I'll explain a little bit what's going on. So it's towards the end of the movie. It's a, kind of at the beginning of the third act, and the bad guy, his name, you know he's a bad guy because his name is Killmonger. Um, and you think his parents would have realized naming him Killmonger that you know, he's going to turn to be a bad guy. But... Um, so he's kind of taken over control of the nation of Wakanda, um, and he thought that he'd killed uh, bl- the Black Panther, his name is T'Challa. He thought he'd killed him in battle to give him the right to be king, all right? Now, he hadn't actually killed him. Um, he had been almost dead, and so the analogy's not perfect, because Jesus was actually dead, right? But there's this moment where Killmonger's kind of trying to set up his plans for what, 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 what's going to happen with Wakanda, and T'Challa shows up, Right, and he comes uh, walking towards um, Killmonger, right, and and you see all of these people that are surrounding Killmonger who aren't really happy that he's king, but are kind of like we don't really have much of a choice. And it kind of makes you think of like Jesus' disciples for those for those f- few days in between his death and his resurrection, where they were like confused about what's what's going on here. We did not we didn't see this coming, um, and Jesus rises from the dead, and they're like. 
whoa, right? They're just surprised. They didn't expect it. You see that in the faces of, of some of the people who are still loyal to T'Challa in this moment. And he has this great line. I love it. I love the line he says, okay? He goes, listen, I never yielded. And as you can see, I am not dead. And I think that that line is, is perfect to describe the resurrection, right? Uh, Jesus is saying, listen, I, I let you kill me, right? But that doesn't mean I yielded to you, all right? And as you can see, sin and death, I am not dead, right? I have overcome you. And there's one Lord, there's one gospel, there's one son of God, and it's me. And I'm proving that in my resurrection. And because of that, I'm the true king, all right? That's at the resurrection, and the, the analogy breaks down because Black Panther still has to fight the bad guy still. But, you know, in, in, for us, right, the resurrection is that moment of, of, of final victory for Jesus to announce, announce this stuff, right? And so this is what we believe as Christians, and this is why Easter is so important to us, and this is why Paul proclaims this authority to his gospel from this moment. This is what gives his gospel authority to be proclaimed out for the forgiveness of sins, uh, for all those who believe it, for, um, for coming to, 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 together as people, um, to love one another, to have the Holy Spirit given to us. All of this is true because of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? So as we kind of move from, from that point, I want to I talk a little bit about a little bit of application of this for us as we go out from here, okay? Because at the very end of the book of Romans, in Paul, in his, in his benediction, um, he, he says, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. So he talks about like, us being established in accordance with this gospel that has been given authority through the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. Um, what it looks like for us to be uh, called in accordance with the gospel, the gospel of Easter. So we could say, like, what does it look like for us to be now Easter people, right? People who are formed according to the gospel uh, that, that is shown forth in Easter. What does that actually look like for us, okay? And that's our application for today. We usually try to end each sermon with a little bit of application, and this week we just have one point, and it's let's be Easter people every day, not just on Easter, right? Because this is a gospel, this is good news that extends out beyond just today, right? A lot of times, um, you know, I think we, we get excited about Easter and we celebrate it for a week or for a day or something like that, but this is not supposed to be confined to one day of the year. This is supposed to be every single day for us. So we should be Easter people, people who are called in accordance uh, with this gospel on every single day. We're going to talk about what that looks like. Because um, Easter is the dawning of a new day. It's the breaking in of forgiveness and sins and a new king in the world. But if it's a breaking in... Um, and if there are other, you know, claimants to Jesus' throne, right? If there are other Caesars out there, um, just like in, 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 in their time, there is in our time as well, other claimants to the throne that are running around, then that means that, like, for, we're, Easter people are kind of caught between two worlds, as it were, right? Because, um, and Douglas Campbell, he's a, he's a, uh, a Pauline scholar, he puts it really well here, and, and we're going to use an analogy he talks about in this book, but he says, listen, the first and most obvious challenge for us arises when we look around and we see that the world of mortality and death, of sin, is far from gone. There is so much ongoing dreadfulness that the claim that people who have converted to Christianity possess a resurrected mind of peace, life, and joy just seems fanciful. It seems like it's make-believe, right? 
And I think, like, I, I, would, I would hope, actually, like, as on Easter Sunday, right, or when you hear this gospel proclaimed, that you would, you would hear in the back of your mind, yeah, that's true, I believe that, but that doesn't seem to, like, jive with what happens when I leave on Sundays, right? It seems like there is, like, I am trapped between two worlds here, and I think that that is very true, right? I think that there's a claim the Bible makes, and we could dig into a lot of passages where that's true, but for sure, there are, like, there are lots of examples of this. I think, um, like I said, there's no real true Caesar anymore, and I'm kind of using that language metaphorically, but we still live in a world dominated by suffering, right? We still live in a world that's dominated by our own sin. I'm aware of the fact um, that there are people in this room who suffer from chronic illness, that maybe people pray for it often to, to be healed and nothing happens for it, right? I'm aware that there are people in this room who likely suffer from anxiety and depression. They, they suffer from hopelessness and emptiness on a regular basis, despite the fact of calling uh, Jesus Lord, okay? I realize that we live in a world that is fatigued from the daily news of, of fighting that goes on, whether it's in Washington or it's in other parts of the world. We just are fatigued by all the battling that is always taking place. Um, and and, and, and I, I realize that there are people in this room who are, are maybe... Uh, feeling the burden of mistakes or, or guilt that they feel in their lives, right? And, and, and this is all still true of us despite the fact that we, you know, believe that this gospel is true, that Jesus has been made king, that he's established and is establishing his kingdom for us here. Now, so Douglas Campbell, the same guy who uh, I have taken this quote from, has a, a really great analogy in, his, in this book that I'm going to use for you here today. So he says, Okay, so l- think about it like this. Let's say that we're in a room together and there's some, there's some music playing in it. And let's call that music, you know, the music of death or the music of, of kind of the old world, right? And so he picks like death metal music in, in the analogy. Um, I would pick like country music probably. Sorry if that's offensive for some of you, but like just some really honky-tonky song where it's filled the whole room up and it's about this guy and he's talking about his cowboy boots and he's dancing on a counter in a bar or something like that and he's about to go driving around his pickup like that sounds like the music of death to me so sorry if you love that music I'm just going to use it for the analogy right okay that's the music that fills the room okay and that's true of what's going on in the room okay let's say that I pull my iPhone out and I start playing some other music all right I start playing um, some some other music that I find beautiful um Whatever that is, you pick what, whatever that works for the analogy. For you, maybe for you, it's honky-tonk country music, right? That's, that's your prerogative. Feel free to do that. Just do it in a different room from me, okay? Um, now, so what he says is both of these uh, musical arrangements are playing at the same time. He says, both arrangements occupy exactly the same space in all their fullness, Christians live with the music of the world and the music of heaven playing in the same location all the time. So if the presence of the music of heaven is doubted, the volume on the music of the world might be turned up too high. So in this analogy, he talks about how, like, we can't help it. We have this other music playing in the room, and we don't have the ability to turn that off, right? Um, we have a hope that someday God will turn that music off someday, but what, what has happened is in the, in the resurrection of Jesus, in the uh, establishment of his gospel, this other music has been turned on in the room. And we're called to turn that music up louder. You can think of it as like uh, Easter music, which, you know, not like, it's not like Christmas music, right? It's Easter music. It's a, it's a way of life. 
Um, and, and so we are called to focus ourselves on the hope of the resurrection and to try to turn that music up in the rooms that we occupy um, on a regular basis, okay? Now, what does that music look like? And I kind of have just one verse I want to talk through uh, that talks to us a little bit about what the music of Easter sounds like and how, what, what it looks like for us to turn that music up a little bit. What are the things that are distinctive of this music? Um, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Paul is saying here in, in this passage, um, basically that he, he's talking about spiritual gifts and he, and he has these people in, in Corinth who have all these spiritual gifts and they're trying to act them out and he's like, you have these things that you are, you know, you, you know, they're really good things and God has given them to us to be used in the present but I don't want you to forget the three most important things are the three things that will last into the age to come, into heaven itself, when, when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom on earth, when we are, are resurrected uh, like Christ as well, these three things will remain, he says. And so I want you to make sure you're practicing these three things in the present now because they anticipate uh, life in the future. And those three things that will remain are faith, hope, and love. So that means that we are people who are called uh, to be people of faith, hope, and love. And all three of these things are, are played against the music of the world that we live in, right? Faith is, is music that is played against uh, the music of some other faith. Notice I didn't say doubt there, too, because I, I, I don't think that faith and doubt are necessarily binary things, you know? So I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that for someone, myself included, who struggles with doubt sometimes, like, to say that that is antithetical, like, to faith, right? I think those thing, two things go together. But we are tempted to uh, believe uh, the faith of other things. We're tempted to put our hope or our faith into other things other than in Christ. And so for us to be uh, people of faith uh, means that we are people who continually put our faith in the Jesus who is crucified and risen. Um, I know that pain and suffering are huge barriers to faith, right? They're for people outside the church and people who are inside it. Um, it can be a really hard thing sometimes uh, to live with the fact that there is so much pain and suffering in the world and to ask the question, like, where is God in this? Why isn't he doing something about this? Um, wh wh why is, you know, wh why was he raised from the dead? Or why, why did that person get healed, but why not me? Or, you know, that, that's a, 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 a question that I think um, we are often asking ourselves, right? Now, f Easter faith says, I don't know why this thing happens. I don't know why this bad thing happened to me. I don't know why um, this pain and suffering still exists in this place. But I do know for sure that because of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus cares. He cares enough to himself enter into our suffering and to die on our behalf. And I know that he's doing something and has done something about evil and suffering because the resurrection is a claim to death and to evil and to suffering, that God um, has done something and will defeat it one day. And the proof I need then, in the moment when I'm wrestling through pain and suffering, you know, and I don't know the answer why that's happening, right? Easter faith does not say, uh, this is why this bad thing is happening to you. But it does say, um, I can rest assured, because of the cross and the resurrection, uh, that, that, that God is not out of control, right? That's what Easter faith looks like. And that type of faith leads us to hope. Hope which plays against uh, the music of despair. Um, one of the good things about the internet is that we can see like everything that's happening in the world at any moment. One of the bad things about the internet is we can see everything that's happening in the world at every moment, right? 
I think that because of the internet, we're so much more aware. Like, and, and listen, we live in, we live in a very privileged, um, comfortable society where like, people dying and bad things happening seem like so alien to us. And so sometimes we like, don't know what to do when we're confronted with the fact that like, though there's still a lot of really bad stuff in the world. And even though we don't see it in our neighborhood, it still exists out there. I think one of the, the best examples I can think of this is like, you know, a lot of the police shootings that have been happening recently. Like, it's not like that stuff did not occur before the last few years, but we're just much more aware of it because of technology. We're able to see that more clearly. Um, and so that knowledge of, of all the bad stuff that takes place in the world, um, I think, can lead us to despair, right? Um, the, seeing these events happen in real time, knowing that they're actually taking place can lead us to despair. But the hope of the resurrection and understanding that that's a real event that happened, that's a real thing that took place in Jesus being raised from the dead, um, leads us to have hope. Um, our hope rests on this historical fact. If, Jesus, if God raised Jesus, it's not just a theory, not just wishing, not just you know, blind hope or faith. Um, it's like a true hope that God is doing something in the world. And, and I'm not saying that if you, you have depression or you're stuck in the doldrums of, of despair, that this should just replace it and you should be a happy person all the time. But this should be hope for you that someday you will not be gripped by that despair or, or depression, right? And that, that God is working and, and has been working um, to bring about uh, life for us. And then finally, uh, love, which plays against the music of, of hate and retribution and, and dominance and apathy, which, which is behind so much of the pain and the suffering in the world, right? When we live lives of love, like, we combat that stuff in, to a large degree. Um, and, and we have this, this hope that the love of God that, that spurred him on to send his son to earth to die on our behalf is now poured out into us. Right? That, 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 that's, that same love of God to come die for us is in us now through the Holy Spirit. And if we're willing to turn that music up, it's there. Right? It's playing. We just have to be willing to turn that up and to live lives that reflect the love of Jesus for us on the cross. And this is another reason why we're called Resurrection City Church. Um, because we believe that while resurrection is our you know, great hope in the future... We believe that there is the opportunity for us to live resurrection lives here in the present as well, to be made new in our circumstances through being people of faith, hope, and love, living that out. Um, love being the greatest, Paul says, because it directs our hope and faith and everything else. It gives, um, it gives direction. Um, it gives a design or a purpose to our faith and hope. All right? So, so for us as we close today, uh, I want to just challenge you and, and offer out to you, um, be Easter people, not just today, but for sure today, but every day as you go forth. Be people who are animated by faith, hope, and love. Find out how to turn that volume up in my life of faith, of hope, of love, so that it combats uh, the music of the old world. Um, we're going we're gonna to spend some time here in worship um, and then taking of, of communion here where we, where we remember, you know, very clearly, we do this every week, but especially today we're remembering uh, that Jesus' body and blood uh, shed for us on the cross. And, and so I'm going to invite you to take part in that. All we ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. Please, um, please come up and take that communion with us today. Um, I'll pray to close us here. Lord, we, uh, on this day of all days, we... We exalt 
that you are the God who, who brings dead things back to life. Um, you give us uh, the hope of that in your son being raised from the dead. And you give us hope um, in our own deadness and in the deadness of, of the world that you, will, you are and you will make that, that new as well. God, make us people of faith, hope, and love, um, whether it's in our workplaces, whether it's in um, our homes, wherever that, that place may be, God. Help us to be people who, who are Easter people playing that music um, of the resurrection wherever we go. I pray this in your son's holy name, amen.